1: Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 14 Waiver Wire Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's Happy Tuesday. Happy Week 14. It's a great day to be great. Joining me, as he always does, on this edition of the podcast, PFF's finest, Nathan, the great Yankee. Nate, what's up, man?
0: Hey, doing well. I had a weird last week with NFL teams and running backs. We had like four different teams go into the game with one starting running back. It seemed like someone else was the starter by the end of the game. So NFL always keeping us on our toes.
1: And now we have uh, six teams on by in week 14 for some reason that still hasn't quite been explained to me so i understand you know on thanksgiving week you want to have the three teams playing on thursday you don't want to completely deplete your uh, sunday sleep but what we started these in week five i think week six like that was when these yeah. teams started still doesn't make much sense but hey we'll roll with the punches the rules are what they are nate and accordingly we will adjust to them so fun edition of the podcast on the way we're gonna go through all the week 14 waiver wire notes from Nate's five to add and usual Wave for report that you can find on pff.com also I went ahead and I got in the lab figured out the best and worst worst uh, fantasy playoff schedules weeks 15 through 17 for each position so I'll give you some highlights on that but as we always start things off with got to go through the biggest sheeshs from week 13 courtesy of my fantasy fallout sheesh report column all the near misses drop touchdown nullified scores missed big plays I got them for you right here so covering the highlights of the 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 week, the sheesh of the week goes to Bengals wide receiver Tyler Boyd absolute layup of an 18-yard touchdown. Should have probably been offensive pass interference to get him that wide open in the first place. Wasn't wasn't called, though, and unfortunately, Boyd had one of the worst drops of the season on again, what should have been an easy 18-yard score. We did have three reverse shishas where I was, you know, writing down in my notebook, Nate, I got this big-ass, you know, Google spreadsheet where I'm just constantly listing all the potential shishas throughout the weekend. A.J. Brown, 41-yard touchdown. Oh, wait, his foot was out out of bounds. Don't worry, He caught another one on the very next play. Christian McCaffrey dropped a three yard touchdown. Don't worry, he caught a three yard touchdown on the very next play. And MVS couldn't quite come up with a 40 yard catch down the seam. Don't worry, very next play. Mahomes went right back to his guys. So, always good to see when the sheesh gods help us out there. Terrible instance there where Jacoby Myers last Thursday night was able to seemingly catch about a 15 yard touchdown, then got absolutely blasted by Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, to the point where Hamlin actually got ejected on the hit. So Myers, in all likelihood, going to be in the concussion protocol this week, couldn't quite hang on to the touchdown the same way that we saw Traylon Burks do when he got knocked out of the game wasn't a great week for Aaron Rodgers. I've been consistent on this podcast, even you know when we had that Thursday night stinker against the Titans, that nothing about Rodgers' arm strength in and of itself is truly washed. We're not looking at 2015 Peyton or 2020 Drew Brees. Still, it wasn't a good week for him. I mean, when he can't even give the guys a chance to get their hand on the ball, that's when we're shooting. So Randall Cobb, 36 and 13-yard potential touchdowns, had a step, couldn't quite get an accurate pass. Alan Lazard had a potential 30-yard gain, and Christian Watson, who Obviously continues to find the end zone on his limited touches. Was open enough for a potential 64-yard score, if not a 40-yard gain. Once again, the Rodgers could not quite put it on him. Also had more of the same going on in Atlanta. The single... Highest rate of uncatchable passes in the league, courtesy of Marcus Mariota. So, Drake London was open deep for a 40-yard gain. Kaderil Hodge was open for a potential 40-yard score. And another 20-plus-yard gain was not a good day for Marcus Mariota and company. Also wasn't a good day for Tua Tagovailoa. And it's one of these things where I feel like Tua's legacy, people want to like rewrite it every single 60 minutes that he plays a game of football. Like The amount of just, after a good game, after a bad game. Hell, when he was on a bye week, I had Tua non-believers in my mentions just going crazy, just about a quarterback. I wasn't even talking about him, but this was not a good week for Tua. Jalen Waddle, man, not one, not two. Three separate inaccurate targets that probably should have been chunk gains. Tyreek did have one in and of itself, and but the big one, man, Jeff Wilson, probably should have been a 72-yard house call now jeff wilson didn't exactly show the best ball tracking abilities on this sheesh that said clearly the covers defender that was supposed to cover him on the wheel did not cover him on that and there was nothing but green grass in front of him wasn't the best pass wasn't the best catch ultimately just an incomplete but again perfect world 72 yard score for jeff wilson would have been nice when you uh, look up actually at his stat line you see those whopping 0.3 fantasy points that wilson got us last week Three official drop touchdowns uh, on the stat sheet. I mentioned the McCaffrey one that he made up for and the Boyd. MBS also had a potential two-yard score, hit him in the chest and fall to the turf. Also, Eckler from 17 yards, Gerald Everett from 20 Jarvis Landry from 19, and Devontae Adams from 6. Not official drops, would certainly would have been a lot cooler if they had held on. Nullified touchdowns by penalties that were rightly called, usually more times than not, but still sheeshes us. Cordero Patterson, 10-yard rushing touchdown, taken off the board. Chris Goblin, 5-yard touchdown at the end of last night before Rashad White got the actual game-winning touchdown. And Stephon Diggs with that 41-yard bomb last Thursday night. Only problem was Tommy Sweeney was holding on the play. And just a list of pass catchers who could have had a touchdown with a more accurate pass Gabriel Davis potentially from 56 yards out, although did not track the ball all that great in his own right. Tyquan Thornton from 56 yards out when his coverage defender fell down Too bad Mac Jones threw into the stands. AJ Brown drew a big defensive pass interference penalty could have been another 30 yard score and that performance guys. Great game from Mike White. Great game from Garrett Wilson. Could have had an 84-yard house call after he toasted Patrick Peterson off the line of scrimmage late in the fourth quarter of that one. Nico Collins, potential three-yard score. Kirk, Marvin Jones, potential touchdowns that Lawrence couldn't quite get to him. He did find Ingram later on the same drive. Pat Frymouth, Devin Duvernay, Travis Kelsey, more potential touchdowns that simply weren't accurate enough to be caught. And finally, 2-2 Atwell. And this one kind of cracked me up, Nate, because we had the NFL Twitter account. Shout out Tariq Woolen, the Seahawks rookie cornerback, who he's had a lot of ups this year, but this was a down where absolutely roasted by Tutu Atwell, but Walford could not even come close to giving him a chance to catch it. So NFL official Twitter says it was a great play by the defense, but you all know that's a sheesh around these parts. Nico Collins, most unrealized air yards of the week with 187, which is a very high number. Gabriel Davis, Marquez, Valder, Scantling, and Justin Jefferson, only other guys above 90 and Finally, the guys that got tackled at the one-yard line and did not manage to score on the same drive. Josh Allen, Zonovan Knight, twice on the same drive. Dario Gumbawale, Amon Ross St. Brown, who leads the league in this statistic, I'm pretty sure I will crunch those numbers by the end of the year, and Rams wide receiver Brandon Powell. So now with that, Nate, we can officially move on to week 14 after being reminded of all the things that made us cry last week. So love getting that out of the way and love getting to your lovely waiver wire content on PFF dot com five to add a drop by low and sell high and you've done been doing a dynasty twist here lately with the buying low and sell high so about that time of this year again we'll focus on week 14 for now with your top player to add Buffalo Bills running back James Cook. Nate, we're all excited about what Cook could bring in this offense, being a second round pick and, you know, just being this explosive pass catcher that, you know, we'd like to really chase in the NFL. Didn't start out great for him with Devin Singletary dominating snaps. And then they traded for Naeem Hines and it seemed like he wasn't going to have a role. But things have started to swing Cook's way. What did you see about his uses last Thursday night that has him atop your top five players to add ahead of week 14?
0: Uh, The Bills basically split the snaps between the two running backs, Singletary seeing half, Cook seeing the other half. And Cook uh, basically has played better all season if you look at PFF grades in terms of running with the ball, in terms of receiving, in terms of blocking. So it's not all that surprising that he started to see more playing time. And Hines also got more involved, but he was often lining up as a slot receiver or with two men in the backfield. So it didn't seem like Hines currently is really impacting either of the two running backs. It's more probably of anyone impacting Isaiah McKenzie's playing time. So um, it's good to see it's more or less a two-man backfield in that regard. And with how well Cook played in this game and has played so far, it wouldn't be all that surprising to see Cook see more playing time. So maybe not someone that I'm comfortable starting this week, but someone that I definitely want to pick up because it's been heading in one direction and if it keeps heading in that direction, then Cook could be a really big player down the stretch.
1: Season high marks and targets, carries, and offensive snap percentage last week. I mean, 20 touches in that matchup against the Patriots. And to your point, I mean, he's looked pretty good with his opportunities as a rusher, as a receiver. So we all remember, you know, he lost a fumble on his first career touch out there, briefly got in that doghouse, does seem to be breaking out. So look, obviously, with your fab at this point, if you still have any to be worrying about, hey, if you need a guy, go get him. Don't be, you know, worrying too much about having that leftover fab. As far as I know, Nate you cannot take it with you into the next season that would be a wild uh, league to be playing in so three as you mentioned three of the Bills next four opponents top half at preventing fantasy points to running back so maybe not the easiest schedule but then again it's the Buffalo freaking Bills out there not many other offenses that we can expect to be flirting with 30 points more weeks than not number two Giants wide receiver, Darius Slayton. Keeping on, keeping on, man. It's been quite a stretch for him over these past six, seven weeks. And I know a lot of us had Wandale Robinson fever, and we're getting excited about that. Unfortunately, he tore that ACL a few weeks ago, and will miss the remainder of the season. Sterling Shepard's been out. Kenny Galladay's been a mannequin. We have Kadarius Toney now in uh, you know Kansas City, obviously. So the results have been pretty nice for Slayton. Specifically, we've seen him rip off fantasy finishes as a PPR wide receiver 22 Dotted at 73 but then 19 35 15 22 53 and 22 yeah there's a few busts in there Nate but there's also a pretty strong sequence of top 24 finishes how do you like Slayton here ahead of the rest of the season
0: um I think he'll be pretty consistent I don't think he'll be a huge player over the rest of the year but Um, In these articles, I often post these line graphs of how much playing time each player gets over the course of the last two seasons. And this season, Slayton's playing time has basically gone straight up each week, going up little by little. So now he's very much a full-time starter. He's been at least consistent in terms of receiving yards these last five weeks, at least 60 yards in each one. So I think he can be a pretty consistent player. It's hard to find a team's number one wide receiver available off the waiver wire this late in the season, but this is definitely the case. Um, The Giants don't have the greatest schedule for wide receivers the rest of the season, so it's hard to get too excited about him. But I think he's definitely someone that could get in fantasy starting lineups down the stretch, especially if there's an injury or two along the way.
1: Think of him like Cortland Sutton, which is very sad for anyone like me that was pretty high on Cortland Sutton before this season started. But it's an offense where we're not going to have enough pass game volume to feel great about it. I mean, I listed those finishes. There's a reason why he hasn't finished better than wide receiver 15 in a single game this season. So when we only have one guy out there, yeah, we can feel good about him to an extent squeeze them in those top 36 maybe even top 30 with six teams on bye this week but to nate's point not someone that we're going to be you know answering overly often and close start sit decisions moving on to quarterback nate so it is it's a situation i mean we look at the week 14 buys and i believe justin fields is probably the only quarterback that a lot of people were planning on starting because we have the falcons bears packers colts saints and washington commanders so maybe a few squads still unfortunately being forced to hang on to aaron Rodgers. you don't have a better option but shouldn't have too many qb streamer needs out there that said if you do lions quarterback jared goff stands out as your top player to add at the position this week it is the projected highest scoring game of the week with a game total of 53 and a half ahead of this vikings Lions showdown what has you liking Goff ahead of this matchup nate
0: uh yeah we've been talking about him for a good month or two now with the upcoming schedule and his wide receivers are finally getting healthy This was the first game all season that he had the top four wide receivers on the roster, all active. Of course, uh, Jamison Williams didn't see all that much playing time, but we've seen this for every wide receiver that's come back for the Lions recently. They ease them in. They're the basically only team that says we're going to put this player on a snap count and have actually meant it, (laughs) and um, they did it this week. So I definitely expect Williams to see more playing time going forward. Goff's top 10 in terms of passing yards, passing touchdowns on the season and the schedule is pretty decent both this week and the rest of the way. So I'm pretty comfortable if I really need a quarterback adding gop and putting him in my starting lineup.
1: I was surprised uh, to my quarterback article this morning, which you can find every week on PFF.com starting on Wednesday, but just the numbers efficiency-wise and counting stats-wise between Goff and Kirk Cousins have been so close, and maybe you're like, oh, it's Cousins, it's Goff, who the hell cares? I mean, Cousins historically, guys, has been one of those quarterbacks where when you look at these metrics, you're going to see him in the top 10 more times than not. I agree when you watch him play, you're not saying that's a consistent top 10 quarterback, but for Jared Goff, like this is absolutely Absolutely the best he has played since 2018. So just good to see that happen again for the guy because it wasn't that long ago where golf was a punchline and more conversation than not talking about his on-field performance. And now down the stretch, man. Vikings that could be the easiest game against the Jets in week 15 but Panthers is reasonable and the Chicago Bears in week 17 in Detroit I mean that could be a situation Nate where even though we don't have teams on by Goff could be knocking on the door of that top 12 if not inside it depending on how things start shaking out and some of these other struggling offenses so good stuff ahead for Jared Goff who now has three top seven finishes on the season and look it's one of those things where. I'm focusing certainly more on the good than the bad, but you brought it up, man. Like this entire offense was so banged up after the first month of the season without Swift with the Monros St. Brown dealing with various injuries. Chark was on IR, Reynolds couldn't stay healthy. Like this was absurd, the sort of guys that he had to throw to. They trade TJ Hawkinson. So yeah, it kind of makes sense that when you bring back all the receivers that you know this offense actually trusts, Jared Goff starts putting up some numbers again. At tight end, we have a guy whose guy's name in the news because Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett has said that Greg Dolchich is essentially being used as a wide receiver out there. Well, we still call him a tight end fantasy, Nate, so that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Talk about Dolchich and just a tight end position in general that continues to frustrate even the best fantasy managers among us.
0: Uh, yeah, we've constantly seen injuries, and with those injuries, those targets aren't going to the backup tight ends. They're going to other wide receivers or they're not using just one tight end to replace that player. They're using multiple tight ends. So it's not looking good if you don't have one of those top three or four guys. But Greg is someone that has an upside that a lot of tight ends don't have. He's gained 85 yards this past week. There's not many tight ends that have gained over 80 yards in a game this season. And he's done it twice. Uh, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, the only other tight ends who have done that twice since week six, which is when uh, he started playing after his injury. So... He's just someone that he has the upside that a lot of other tight ends don't have. And the Broncos have had a ton of injuries at wide receiver recently uh, none of their top three wide receivers played the entire game this past week. So um, that just means more targets for him going forward. So he's been has the stats of a top 12 tight end since he's become a starter. And now he's even um, more attractive because I'll get those targets.
1: And what's good about, what Hackett's talking about there is that they're just willing to throw him the ball, I think, as much as a wide receiver. I'm pretty sure that's all he meant because this isn't a Mike Jasicki or a Kyle Pitts situation that I went off on, you know, for large portions of last season because they were legit lining up in the slot or out wide on over 80% of their routes. Both of them. I mean, Jasicki was over 90%. Like some of the stats on that were wild. I believe Chris Godwin last year had more snaps as an inline run blocker than Mike Jasicki did. But Greg Dolchis this year has actually lined up more in line than he has in the slot or out wide. So I think that's kind of a fa- fallacy in our industry when people try to hope for tight ends to get more reps in the slot or out wide. Give me the really fast athletic borderline wide receiver in line where he's more likely to be covered by a linebacker or safety as opposed to out wide where he's going to have to deal with a cornerback. So yeah, they can always, you know, big body those uh, smaller defensive backs on the outside. It's not impossible. Regardless, though, I'm just very happy Tolchich is getting featured as the pass game option here in Denver. Because otherwise, Nate, the only thing I care about with the Broncos these days is seeing if uh, Russell Wilson can, in fact, throw for as many touchdowns as his mansion has bathrooms. Shout out to Kent Wyrots for continuing to give us all the content that we absolutely need Finally, another tight end here rounds out your top five, Nate. New York Giants tight end Daniel Bellinger, someone that we saw really starting to get that full-time role before he suffered just that brutal eye injury that kept him out of the picture for a while. What did we see in Bellinger's first game back from eye surgery?
0: Uh, Sure. So to start the season, he was a first and second down tight end. Tanner Hudson has been the third down tight end for the vast majority of the season. Uh, Bellinger had one game before the injury where he got the third down snaps, played well in that game, and then he went back to losing those third down snaps before suffering his eye injury. But we saw Hudson get released earlier in the week. Uh, Lawrence Cager, who had been the tight end in Bellinger's, um, uh, he's been the replacement over these past few weeks. He wasn't active, so that really opened the door for Bellinger to have that full-time role that he only had for one week before the injury. And he had that role played all but a couple of the snaps. Um, saw several targets, I think caught five passes. Um, didn't put up a ton of yards, but the fact that he played all of those snaps, that's something that very few tight ends are doing right now. And the fact that he's seeing at least some targets with those snaps is a lot better than plenty of other tight ends are seeing right now. So it probably doesn't have the hugest upside because he hasn't shown to like be a huge red zone threat at this point. But he's seeing playing time. He's seeing targets. And they do have some pretty good matchups later on in the season. So I think he's someone that if you've been one of these teams hurting for tight end and haven't been happy with the production you've seen recently, definitely someone I'd be willing to pick up. And he's available in a ton of leagues right now.
1: And I know what you guys are thinking. Oh, Greg Dolch Daniel Bellinger. This is the best you guys got for us at tight end. If, if you dare, guys, listen to the top 10 tight ends from last week in fantasy points because it is absolutely gross. In a week where we only had two teams on by the top 10 scoring tight ends in order, Kate Otten, Greg Dolchich, Noah Fant, Evan Ingram, Cole Komet, Gerald Everett, Taysom Hill. Chagosium Okonkwo, that's not bad, Ian. Pat Fryermuth and then Travis Kelsey rounding out the top 10. Kelsey and Mark Andrews finished tight end 10, tight end 11. Connor Hayward there, tight end 12 for good measure. So it has been absolutely gross. I don't necessarily think it's going to get all that much smoother. So Daniel Bellinger, someone that's going to be on the field in a full-time manner, you could do worse there. And with that, guys, Two more subjects before we conclude here. First of all, just some key week 13 injuries to watch. Shout out to our friends over at Underdog NFL Fantasy. Those guys grind on the news all day long and always keep you updated. So always have them on the notice myself and just some injuries to keep an eye on. Kenneth Walker suffered this ankle injury where Pete Carroll is not specifically ruling him out for Sunday just yet. That said, it does sound like an issue where it's probably going to lead to a questionable tag, I would assume, um, if not something worse. So Kenneth Walker, Nate, the problem is if he's out of the picture, we had Travis Homer miss last week's game with an illness. DJ Dallas actually got banged up himself with an ankle injury, was able to return, though. I tend to think if Walker's going to be out of the picture, we're just going to see them put more of this game in, on Geno Smith's shoulders than we're used to seeing. Probably a three-back committee consisting of Homer, Dallas, and who else would they have even have out there? Uh, Tony Jones was the Tony other. Tony Jones, man, that's man. who I was yeah. yeah. So, I mean, would any of those – I guess Homer would probably be the one I'd expect to lead the way because he kind of had yeah. that pass-down roll over Dallas. That said, even on a week with six teams on bye, I don't think Homer's going to be breaking into our top 24 all that easily.
0: Uh, Yeah, it really depends who's healthy and who's not. If there's just one of these guys who's healthy and is going to see all the carries, they do play the Carolina Panthers, which is a team that I think they will be able to have a lead against. So they will be able to run the ball plenty, even though they'll use Geno to get the lead, but they'll still want to use a running back to maintain the lead, and they're a team that likes running the ball. So even if it's one of these receiving backs, um, I trust Homer the most out of all of the backups if he's healthy, but if both Homer and Walker are injured and DJ Dallas is healthy, then Dallas is someone that I'd be at least worth considering. But right now with waivers, like you don't know which of these guys is going to be healthy and isn't, so it's kind of hard to pick any of them up at this point. So there might be someone on Sunday. It might be all the way up until inactives an are announced that we know um, how this backfield could shake up, but it's at least worth keeping an eye on.
1: That's definitely the most consequential injury to keep an eye on this week. At quarterback, luckily to his ankle injury, not a big deal. Jimmy Garoppolo, of course, did break his foot, expecting to miss the rest of the season. So Brock Purdy, for now, I wouldn't be shocked, though, if Josh Johnson manages to work his way into that competition sooner rather than later. Not expecting Baker Mayfield to get signed there, I believe, per ESPN's Adam Schefter. We will see what happens there. But yes, obviously a downgrade for all those weapons in San Francisco. I'm sure they'll continue to make some great plays because are all great players, but again, going from Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that it's going to not be quite as n- a much consistent production for all parties involved. We do have Aaron Jones dealing with a shin injury. Luckily, he has a week 14 bye to get right. Traylon Burks suffered that concussion on his aforementioned great touchdown catch. Wouldn't be surprised to see him miss a week. Unfortunately, in Tennessee, it's just really tough to trust anybody in this passing game. I mean, we were getting high on Burks, Nate, and it was still like, yeah, Burks playing great. A lot of things going for him Tannehill is finally showing a little bit of a passing floor wide receiver 32 type of deal so no Robert Woods Nick Westbrook Akini not guys I'm overly reliant on this week if we lose Cortland Sutton to this hamstring injury that's obviously great news for Jerry Judy and Greg Dolchitz because Lord knows there's not much passing production to go around in Denver these days Russell Wilson man one game this season with multiple passing touchdowns. Geno Smith has 10 such performances. Not too shabby. Further hurting the tight end, you know, available options. Hayden Hurst dealing with a calf injury and Isaiah likely dealing with a shoulder injury. Also have Quez Watkins hurt with a shoulder as well. So I think the only other point, Nate, here is what to make of Lamar Jackson's knee injury. Now, Harbaugh did bring up that it's not a long-term injury, but he's not expected to at least suit up this Sunday against the Steelers. Bringing in Tyler Huntley who if you look at those passing statistics you're going to see Huntley near the bottom of the list in a lot of those especially things looking at efficiency yards per attempt PFF passing grade all that but Nate we're not playing fantasy football for good efficiency we're playing for raw counting numbers and he has done a pretty good job of getting those over the years overall he's had six extended appearances over the past two seasons and he's averaged 205 passing yards per game that's not a lot But in Baltimore, when you combine it with the rushing usage, it actually ends up being pretty good. So before Lamar got hurt last week, he was averaging 203 passing yards per game. So I'm not saying to cross out Lamar's name and put Tyler Huntley there. But Nate, especially on a week with these buys, how do you stack up Tyler Huntley? To me, he feels like a quarterback who has a chance to be a lot better in fantasy than he is in real life. Um, I definitely
0: agree he'll be better in fantasy than real life because he has that rushing production. Um, I was looking at his numbers last year, and he had one game where he was the top overall quarterback one week, and then a lot of weeks where he was somewhere between 10 and 20. So um, he shined in one week, and he's probably a little lower than a top fantasy quarterback in most weeks. So I think we could see that again. Um, looking at the schedule, I wasn't overly excited over these next couple of games, but during the fantasy playoffs – I was fine picking him up if you have Lamar Jackson and just need a replacement for Jackson. And you're in a league where the top 20 quarterbacks are already taken. In that case, I would definitely pick him up. But in most leagues where a lot of teams might not have a backup quarterback, or if you're only in a 10 team league or an 8 team league, then probably not worth looking at
1: him. Shout out to Dwayne McFarland, my lovely former full-time co-host. Now we just talk on Sundays. But he basically said we're looking at, you know, a Baltimore version of Daniel Jones. I thought that was a good way of putting it. So you brought up the rushing numbers from last season, man. Again, six extended appearances. He's gone for 40 rushing yards, 45, 73, 54, 72, and 41 on at least six carries a game. Also found the end zone three separate times. So, look, a lot of that did come last season when we saw Lamar be way more effective as a passer as well and more productive so it makes sense if Huntley like Lamar takes a little bit of a step back through the air on this version of the Baltimore Ravens but quarterback needy teams out there don't be shocked if he can get things going for you. All right, guys, before we keep it moving, as I explained on the last podcast, I uh, had some cuts at PFF, including our guy, Kevin Cole, which is incredibly unfortunate. But Kevin did reach out, and even if he hadn't, I'd be t- telling you guys this. He does, is keeping the Unexpected Points podcast and newsletter basically with all of his info going. So you can go subscribe to Kevin at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Again, can't you guys heard Kevin? Like, I don't even need to hype the guy up. You know how smart he is, you know the unique way he looks at things you know just being able to show us hey i know he pisses off a fan base every week but that's what happens when you're trying to do uh you know good solid objective analysis and i can't think of anyone that does it much better than kevin out there so unexpected points Dot substack.com. Fantastic newsletter. It's free. It's gonna make you smarter. I mean, all of Kevin's analysis, the DFS showdown stuff. Like if you're listening to this podcast, if you've been following pff fantasy, you're well aware Kevin's a sharp guy. That's why all his work was always behind a paywall. It is absolutely free as Kevin continues to work his way through this funky fantasy football industry. So again, unexpected com Go help brother out, Kevin Cole, one of the sharpest guys in this industry, dear friend of both mine and Nate's. Unexpected points. Substack. All right, guys. Had uh, Daniel reach out in the chat and actually ask are there any defenses either of you are stashing for the playoffs? And that is a great transition to some of the most fantasy friendly schedules ahead of the fantasy playoffs and specifically with the defenses. I tweeted these out last Thursday, I believe. So if you want to go back and scroll through a bunch of BS that I usually tweet, you can find these uh, red and blue charts. So the top five defenses in terms of their opponents they're facing in week 15, 16, and 17 and what they've allowed this year, the Chargers are number one. The Chiefs are number two, Vikings number three, Lions number four, and the Raiders number five. So look, we always want to find this happy medium between having a defense that obviously is good at football and then facing that bad offense. So I would say out of this group, the Chargers qualify if they can get Joey Bosa back, but if not, man, it has been rough for them. They cannot stop the run to save their life recently. More likely, we have the Kansas City Chiefs, the Vikings, and the Las Vegas Raiders to a slightly lesser extent as those groups i'd be targeting so overall i know the chiefs already gonna be owned in a lot of leagues but man Vikings, even the Lions to an extent with Aiden Hutchinson, some of the things that pass rush can do and the Raiders. These are pretty low owned defenses that, again, just based on a purely scheduled standpoint, are set up pretty well for the stretch run on the other side of things. Bottom five schedules for the fantasy playoffs on defense, Patriots, Texans, Saints, Cowboys and Steelers. So if you have the Patriots, if you have the Cowboys, I would take just a second to maybe consider trying to get one of these units with a better overall matchup run down the stretch. And moving on to quarterback, Nate, top five schedules. Number one, our guy Mike White set up gorgeous in weeks 15 to 17 followed by Kyle Allen, who we don't care about Aaron Rodgers, who we're not sure is going to keep the job, Sam Darnold with the Panthers and how Brock Purdy with the 49ers. So, Hey man, Mike white, it's been a situation where he's gone for over 300 passing yards now in three of his five starts. And one of those starts against the Colts, he got injured very early on. So he's against Buffalo this week in Buffalo. I don't think that's going to be pretty. He threw four interceptions against that defense last year, but Nate, it does seem like Mike white here down the stretch i'm not saying it's gonna be a top 10 fantasy quarterback but right there in that top 15 i do think is possible if he can just keep zach wilson on the bench
0: oh uh, yeah and you mentioned the good schedule and playing buffalo next week he's gonna be down against buffalo he threw 57 times last week they're not afraid to throw it 50 plus times so probably depends on how much interceptions hurt you in whatever your, your league settings are but um white will at least probably see a lot of volume against buffalo and then the easier schedule will also definitely help him down the stretch.
1: Third most pass happy offense in the league when they've had one of Joe Flacco or Mike White under center. So, look, a lot of those games they have been trailing, and I took out garbage time from that statistic. So, that removes some of it. But either way, I don't, again, doesn't take a rocket scientist, doesn't take a fantasy analyst to tell you that the Jets are a little bit more willing to pass the ball when Zach Wilson isn't under center. On the other side of things, bad schedules down the stretch. Trevor Lawrence, three consecutive bottom seven opponents. And just in terms of being really tough for him uh, to score fantasy points with, In those final three weeks, also Patrick Mahomes, who we know can overcome just about anything. Taylor Heineke, Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins. So specifically for Cousins and Trevor Lawrence, I would say if you do have, you know, a roster where you've been going back and forth on quarterbacks throughout the year, those would be the two I am most concerned about. Moving on to running back the top five schedules for the fantasy playoffs, Saints, Chiefs, Ravens, Rams, and the Colts. So obviously with the Colts, you know, we have Jonathan Taylor who we're starting even if there's a fire, but these are some interesting backfields otherwise with the Chiefs, you know, Isaiah Pacheco, someone we've been talking about an awful lot on this podcast over the last month or so of action. We're feeling good about him, but there is more uncertainty in Baltimore and the Rams. Cam Akers really did take back over the backfield last week after it looked like Kyra Williams was moving in the right direction do you have any lean on what's going to be happening the rest of the way with Los Angeles Nate I feel like the only consistency we've had in that backfield is the general inconsistency from week one to honestly now here we are in week 14
0: oh yeah Kyron Williams has at least consistently been the third down back since he's been with the team so he'll at least see some playing time and especially if they're playing from behind that'll mean more playing time but it's very unclear who will be the early down back. And that's the one who will be getting all of the carries. So um, I probably avoid both of them until we see at least a little bit of consistency. And by the time we see consistency, it'll probably be the end of the fantasy season.
1: Unfortunately, probably a similar sentiment with the Baltimore Ravens who we saw Gus Edwards really start the season and have his, have a really big line share of the backfield touches get injured come back and have the same thing happen and then last week guess what Kenyon drake came in and made things much more close to a two-back committee justice hill is also staying involved and jk dobbins is going to be back potentially as early as this week so just one of those situations where the backfield because of the way lamar and now tyler huntley also play the position bottom three in just overall rush attempts and targets to their running backs on the season so not expecting to be able to take advantage of this too much in Baltimore. But hey, Isaiah Pacheco, Alvin Kamara, maybe Jonathan Taylor fantasy managers should be feeling good, especially Kamara with Mark Ingram now apparently being potential uh, to miss some time. On the other side of things, Bengals, Raiders, Browns, Chargers, and the Panthers, the teams with the worst fantasy playoff schedule. So hey, it's a tiebreaker, guys. If we have Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, and Austin Eckler, obviously you're starting them absolutely no matter what. I think the one more interesting one, Nate, could be what to make of Deontay Foreman and the Carolina Panthers. So with Carolina, they're coming off a bye. Really good matchup this week on the ground against the Seahawks. But after that, Steelers, Lions, and Buccaneers. Now, we saw before the bye, Chuba Hubbard come back. And in a game that they beat the Broncos in, really have more involvement alongside Deontay Foreman than I think we've seen in past weeks. Deontay Foreman, when the Panthers can play with a lead or just keep the game close, always a threat to have 20-plus carries and make good usage out of it. I'm just not sure with these matchups and with the potential game script that will go along with playing the Lions and Buccaneers in particular, how many opportunities he'll have to do just that. So in your opinion, Nate, Deontay Foreman, have we already seen his best games or is he someone that maybe I should continue to try to give people some good start sit advice and keep him rolling? Because, again, he is always a threat to have those 20 rush attempts per game. I get that. I'm just i worried about that floor when you don't have a pass catching back and you have an offense like the Panthers who, hey, they have impressed a little bit. I mean, my God, they've had five games with over 20 points in their last six. Can you imagine if we had anything close to that in Denver? We'd be going crazy over here. But thoughts on Deontay Foreman the rest of the way?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm probably not going to be too comfortable starting him in most of those games, but I'll at least keep him on my bench just to see if something happens. If one of those teams that he's facing injures their quarterback, for example, then the game script could be a lot more reliable for Carolina in a way that would mean that he'd get his carries. So probably keeping him just in case something like that happens and something like that's probably a little more likely than some of the other handcuff situations that you care about, but probably not someone that I feel too comfortable keeping in my starting lineup
1: top five wide receiver schedules for the fantasy playoffs number one the Baltimore Ravens followed by the Carolina Panthers makes sense you have a hard running back schedule things look up for the passing game number three the Houston Texans number four the Green Bay Packers and at number five the Cleveland Browns so once again there's plenty of guys on these teams that are already going to be owned already on rosters that are starting really regardless of how good or bad the schedule is there is more opportunity here though Nate than I think some of the other positions we've gone over with the Ravens I mean Demarcus Robinson going out there and really emerging as the number one receiver more weeks than that i know DuVernay's still involved but honestly both of these guys like the baltimore ravens just haven't been able to establish the run like they've wanted to and been able to in past years so having this again really fantasy friendly stretch run for Robinson and Duvernay if you're in one of these 14 team leagues with you know three flex spots and you got to get gross you can do worse than some of these receivers on Baltimore that again are legit top two wide receivers in the offense and you don't see that many guys available with this nice of a schedule down the stretch similar sentiment in Carolina and Houston no we don't love these passing attacks but also you can't usually find legit top two wide receivers on the waiver wire and if they are going to boom it would make sense to be in there cozier matchup so terence marshall and nico collins really standing out there and then with the packers romeo dobbs coming back i still tend to think it's just going to be watson and lazard having most of the success but you could imagine and with cleveland nate like someone we made sure to bring up last week because he was just on the border of being owned enough but don from people's jones and a browns offense that i do think will look better in future weeks but rough start to deshaun watson coming back but makes sense that the dude was rusty on the other side of the thing things bottom five fantasy playoff schedules for the wide receiver position chiefs vikings jaguars rams and the titans so i think we can just move on to the tight end position nate before we head out of here top five fantasy playoff schedules for tight ends number one your new york jets similarly aligned there with mike white number two the indianapolis colts number three new england patriots number four the carolina panthers and at number five the green bay packers so really the only guy from this group that we know is going to be a full-time player and have a chance to to really take advantage of this is tyler conklin with the jets we haven't exactly seen him you know really boom here with mike white under center nate it's kind of been just the garrett wilson show and everything else how confident are you in tyler conklin potentially not quite maybe emerging as a league winner but giving us a couple top 12 finishes here down the stretch
0: uh, yeah, not overly confident, but he has had some games with a lot of targets. It hasn't happened with Mike White at quarterback, but there also haven't been many opportunities for that to happen so far this season. So there's at least a chance. And really, at this point, you're looking for any kind of upside at tight end, and he's at least seeing the playing time and has the upside. So I definitely think some top 12 finishes could be in store over these next four weeks.
1: I mean, the dude had six catches, 79 yards, and two tutties against the Patriots. With Zach Wilson under center, that dude should get a freaking medal for that performance, and you said it, you know, hasn't had a ton of great target games like he did with Joe Flacco, weeks one through three, seven, nine, and eight targets. He did get up to seven targets last week, but only caught two of them for nine yards, so I would say the only problem with Conklin is we have seen C.J. Uzama not overtake him by any stretch, but be involved enough just to make things that much more thin for Conklin, so One of my favorite sayings over the years, if you have two tight ends in real life, you probably have none in fantasy. Unfortunately, that's been the case in New York more times than not this season. On the other side of things, bottom five tight end fantasy schedules, the Eagles, the Browns, the Lions, the Seahawks, and the Saints. So, I thought that Taysom Hill could potentially emerge as one of these quote-unquote league winners down the stretch, Nate, because if there was going to be a cheat code that could happen, it would be Taysom Hill having tight end eligibility and overtaking Andy Dalton for the starting quarterback spot. But, man, like, I I know PFS are getting some flack for having Dalton rated so highly as a, a PFF passing grade and stuff, and I do think that you can look a little bit more at the way things are done and critique the fact that maybe we are giving too much credit to players like Dalton who play a little bit more safer than a gunslinger who probably gives their offense you know a higher ceiling that said man even last night like I don't think you can watch these Saints games and look at Dalton and say he's playing at a low enough level to get benched especially when considering like he just got Jarvis Landry back I love Chris Olave, but not exactly an offense overflowing with viable pass catchers I mean my god if we have to keep throwing the ball at Taysom Hill as much as we are I know the guy caught one last night but hasn't been all that pretty out there any thoughts on Taysom Hill here down the stretch probably the toughest fantasy player to figure out all season long
0: yeah I expect it to be more of the same I was kind of hoping he'd see more snaps at tight end last night after Juwan Johnson was out with an injury so they were down at tight end Um, they let Nick Bennett I think was their other tight end that they let go recently I think he's with New York now so they were really down a couple of tight ends compared to what they usually have, a J.P. Holtz, another one that they left on the practice squad. So um, he was their clear number two tight end, but that didn't really lead to any more playing time. But luckily he got the touchdown, but didn't do all that much else. And even with the problems they've been having at running back, he hasn't been running the ball as much as he was before. So still someone that definitely has that upside of being able to score a touchdown or breaking a big game game that a lot of other tight ends really haven't seen a ton of this season, but still just isn't seeing as many opportunities as you would like to see
1: only one carry inside the five yard line all season long for Taysom Hill hasn't scored a rushing touchdown since having that breakout three touchdown game against the Seahawks all the way back in week five so it's a good thing he caught that touchdown last week I mean that was his first one since week seven he did drop a short fade in the end zone against the 49ers in week 12 so they're trying and guess what there aren't any other tight ends out there that have the ability to get these rush attempts and even the occasional pass attempt out there so still a sky high ceiling for Taysom I'm just, I guess, a little bit more uh, bearish on his potential for him to actually take over the quarterback spot from Dalton down to stretch. Give me some Jameis, please. I know they won't, but I just want to see Jameis under center for someone uh, at some point, Nate. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, you can find all of Nate's waiver wire stuff at PFF.com. And if you're interested in analyzing those schedules a little bit more, seeing the exact week-by-week breakdown, you can go to my Twitter. I sent it out on November 30th at 5.34 p.m. Best Fantasy Football Schedules for the Fantasy Playoffs. Blue is good. Red is bad. Great day to be great. Nate, let the people know what you got at PFF.com. And I hope you folks got a while because this is a laundry list. So, yeah, it's same as usual right now. We have
0: the recaps to every game that happens that went out Sunday throughout the games going on. It happened last night after the Monday night football game. A top 10 recap that went out on Monday. Waiver wires that went out on Monday. Uh, today had the five to add, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high, which included Dynasty guys in the buy low to sell high with the trade deadline gone in most leagues at this point, um, as well as rest of season rankings that went up today. Uh, tomorrow we'll have rankings for this upcoming week, and the day after that we'll have start six
1: sit on top of all the behind the scenes stuff you do already Nate a true grinder among grinders appreciate everything man we'll be back with another edition of the PFF fantasy football podcast tomorrow gonna have to be solo pretty much you know running out of people to talk some ball with here over at PFF these days but that's okay we will watch the film and get better as always I think my plan is just get through all my articles come up with you know 15 or 20 of my favorite notes and takeaways and just tell you guys the goodness hopefully get those rosters in. position. A- position make the fantasy playoffs and then take home that championship gold so for nate i'm ian thanks to those for tuning into the pff fantasy football podcast until next time take care everybody